This weekend, you will hear the gospel story when Jesus tells the Sadducees that there is no marriage in heaven. The short explanation is that there is no marriage in heaven because in heaven, we are all going to be married to God. That's why we can say that marriage on earth is a sacrament, a sign that points or anticipates that eternal union that God wants to have with us in heaven. That's because God gives himself totally to us. Like in marriage, a husband and wife are called to give themselves totally to each other. It makes me think of the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. God loves us totally, and we are also to love Him completely in return. And that means we have to offer everything we have to God and trust that He will take care of all our needs. It's about total love, total. On Monday, we also remember all the men and women who've given up a lot to serve overseas. We remember all those who've lost their lives so that others can live in freedom. That's who we celebrate on Veterans Day in the United States, and in Canada, it's called Remembrance Day. These men and women have given their lives. That's total giving. That's what it means to love totally. That's what Jesus did. So this Veterans Day and Remembrance Day, let's remember our troops who are serving, those who have served, and those who've died in armed conflict. And let us pray that we are also able to give it all in our marriages, but certainly to God who loves us totally. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I am Billy Chan. And I'm Allison Kenny. Welcome you guys once again to an all-new Salt and Light Hour program. A special hello to those of you that are listening to us on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. If you're driving, enjoy the ride. Sit back. I hope you're driving for an hour because it's an hour-long show. If you're not driving for an hour, <laughs> um, what are they What are they going to do, Billy, if they're not driving for an hour? Um, if they are driving more than an hour, they can repeat it. If they're right. driving more <laughs> than an more hour, than they can repeat hour. it. Yeah. yeah, but if they're driving less than an hour, uh, they can just go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio and mm-hmm. listen to the whole program. All our programs are archived there. Or you can just subscribe to the podcast on Apple yeah. uh, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spotify everywhere. on Roku mm-hmm. as well. Lots so there's places. no excuses to not be listening to the Salt and Light Hour. Um, we have a regular show today starting yeah. with news mm-hmm. with Allison. Any, anything exciting in the news, Allison? Well, you know, the Pope has started a few of the first results of the Synod. He's, he's put some things in action, one thing in action. So we'll hear about that and a couple of other small stories. Okay, very yeah. good. So that's coming up in about five minutes. Uh, and after that, Jillian Cantor will return to the program. She's going to tell us what she learned from her kids this month. That's in about 10 minutes. And after that, the segment that everybody loves. Yeah, every, <laughs> you said really everybody loves. Everybody. You know, everybody. since I have done this segment, I have a lot of questions. And the more I did it, the more I find myself as a dummy. Because he I doesn't mean, know any of the answers. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot. I thought I know a lot, but because of this, you know, listen to us. You will learn a lot. So Billy has a question about. You're not going to tell us what the question's about. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. The question is about uh, relic. Okay, so if you want to oh. know more about relic, we, didn't we talk about relics mm-hmm, already? I yes, thought. but a lot of questions about no. relic. Okay, and you only give me five minutes. And can I just <laughs> say that for those of you that are, um, if you if you are on Facebook. This is where you send questions. Look up Billy Chan, whatever you are on Facebook. B. Joe Chan on Facebook and send him questions because there's lots of people sending Billy questions. (laughs) Some are great questions. Some are not very good questions. (laughs) But anyway, uh, they're all questions for dummies. Yes. Um, So that's going to be in about 15 minutes, Church for Dummies. And today we have a serious topic, guys. Um, So 
it's kind of hard to shift gears here because we're all kind of joking around having fun, but um, sexual abuse of children and uh, youth by mm. Catholic clergy. Um, it's a topic that nobody wants to talk about. Well, I guess some people do want to talk about because we feel that the only way through this is to actually yeah. face to it, face, face it and, and talk to it. So uh, have we healed? Has the church healed? Um, I would say not. I don't know. No. You know, I, I don't know if it's healed or if it is a process to heal or mm. I don't yeah. know. That's yeah. a good point. I, I think uh, it's still, if there is healing, it's definitely ongoing healing. And it, sometimes it things get is. better or get worse before they get better. And Yeah, and I don't even know if you year. can completely ever completely heal. But I know that we can, I mean, in Jesus Christ, <laughs> we can, we can find healing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think we need to, as you said, Allison, uh, I hate to think that it's going to get worse. You but have to lance kinda, the boil, I yeah. think, is what oh, they say. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, you guys know Sister Nula Kenny. Mm-hmm. She's been in this yep. program before. And Sister Nula Kenny has a new book. It's called Still Unhealed. Oh. It's uh, uh, treating the pathology in clergy sexual abu- in the clergy sexual abuse crisis published by Novalis. So she's a medical doctor. So she's approaching the issue f- as a doctor. And, and, and as she says, as a doctor, when a patient comes in, they have a problem. The, the doctor make it makes a diagnosis mm-hmm. right so she's kind of diagnosed this crisis as as a doctor it's very interesting um and of course she has uh some very strong opinions about why we're not healed yet um and what we need to do to to heal so it's not an easy conversation but it's it's one that we must have um it's going to be in our second half hour in about 25 minutes if you're not going to be listening then again i encourage you to go to our website saltandlighttv.org slash radio look for the salt and light hour or subscribe to our our show on any of the podcasts because it's really easy to to listen and and look for that interview with sister nula kenny now you, do you guys remember uh, allison might not remember uh but last christmas or no not not several christmases ago we had uh, a jazz christmas album yes i remember do you remember that. this billy a little I, bit i actually it's uh, actually a great album I actually oh got, emmanuel i actually had that cd from you oh i think Yes, and I actually put it in my car. It's still in my car right now. Oh. You're still listening to jazz. Still, it's it's a great like jazz. if you like if you like Christmas music and if you like jazz music, it's great. So the guy, the composer, JJ Wright, um, uh, he's just put a new jazz album. But Ooh. check this one out. You're never going to expect what it is. It's a jazz rendition of Evening Prayer. Oh wow. Vespers. Wow. I love that. Wow. So it's it's Vespers and that. it's very specific the Vespers for the feast of the Immaculate Conception. Oh wow. So it's uh, yeah it's it's That's crazy. <laughs> so it's like this cra- crazy fusion of sacred music and this Gregorian chant and jazz. Um, oh, and I'm pretty I, I sure. I so yeah, I, I, it's very interesting. I'm pretty sure that they recorded it as as a concert. So I'm I'm really Ooh. looking forward to speaking to JJ Wright at the end of the program, um, so he can explain a little bit about how. Uh, how this work? How how they do what? Yeah. Why, yeah. why 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 and and how? <laughs> so so that's coming up. If if you if you're at all interested in sacred music or uh, jazz, stick uh, stick around and listen to my conversation with JJ Wright coming at the end of the program. Um, and again, if you're not going to be listening 40 minutes from now, podcast everywhere everywhere Roku Spotify uh, Spotify iTunes Hour. Google Play look for the Salt and Light Hour uh, or on we- on our website saltandlighttv.org slash radio let's start with a song yes how about some jazz yes. of course yeah. we have to jazz. have some jazz now um, sacred, sacred music and jazz so um, we can't play the whole thing because they're just way too long the tracks but so here's an excerpt 
of Hail Mary from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. That was an excerpt of Hail Mary from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. And we're going to be speaking with J.J. Wright in about 30 minutes. But first, Allison is still here with some news. I am indeed. So, um, four things to talk about today. There's nothing earth-shattering really going on, which is a little bit of a nice change, I think, right? No news is good news in a way. Yeah. Uh, We do have some news coming out of the Vatican, though, that um, Pope Francis has now restructured a few dioceses in the Brazilian Amazon. Oh. 
were okay, some recommendations. That was, that was a recommendation. Exactly. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, some recommendations coming out from the Synod of Bishops on the Amazon. And the Vatican said the Pope is restructuring um, one diocese, essentially dividing it in half to create the Archdiocese of Santarem, which will border the Brazilian state of Amazonas. Ama- uh-huh. Am- Amazon. I can't Amazonas. pronounce it. Amazonas, yes. Yeah, yeah. So basically trying to serve the church better in that area. So he's already, now it's been, what, two, almost three weeks? He's already yeah, making a big and change. that was a big recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I guess that means there's going to be a new bishop. Yes. So or a I bishop guess assigned to that diocese. We shall, yeah. we'll see whether it's an auxiliary of the yeah. part it was already or, or what. So yeah, stay tuned nice. for more on that. Uh, In the USA, Catholic Relief Services is um, strongly opposing the Trump administration's decision to withdraw from the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. Hmm. There's been a lot of um, outrage in the the Catholic world over the government's decision to drop out. And if people didn't know what that agreement was, 188 countries had signed on to that agreement. It aimed to limit global warming to within 1.5 degrees of pre-industrial temperatures. Um, So the VP of um, CRS said that, you know, the poorest of the poor are going to be left to withstand the the consequences of this. So there's going to be more global instability, forced migration and conflict. So this is actually a losing proposition for everybody if the U.S. isn't signed on to the agreement. So, yeah, yeah, stay tuned for more about that. I'm sure there will be lots more reaction to come. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back at the Vatican... A multi-faith declaration against assisted suicide was presented to Pope Francis two days after the annual meeting of the World Medical Association, which I thought was kind of interesting. So it included representatives from the Vatican, the Ecumenical Patriarchate of Constantinople, Patriarchate of Moscow and all Russia, and then Muslim and Jewish scholars and leaders as well. Um, I didn't know that the WMA had a meeting every year, but no. and that so many different faith groups were, um, were, part of it. were part of it, but they unilaterally um, condemned assisted suicide and euthanasia, which is very interesting because, you know, in Canada, um, some of our American uh, listeners may not know that doctors in our province of Canada are required to help to uh, refer out to help yeah, people in certain provinces. In cer- yeah. yeah, in certain provinces. And there, I just read an article recently where in other provinces of Canada in the West, they're worried that they're going to legally yes. be mandated yes. to do that to as well. Referrals, yeah, so active referrals. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a difficult one. Absolutely. And then mm-hmm. my uh, my fourth story, fourth and final, is that um, I'd limit the bishops of the American um, bishops from the states to yeah. Rome have begun. So over the next four months, um, every American diocesan bishop will make a trip to Rome and have an audience with Pope Francis. Now, this is the first time U.S. bishops will have had meetings with Pope Francis on an ad limited basis. Really? I didn't realize that. We've had them with Canadian bishops. Twice, but the last ones, le- yeah. Yeah, I think at or least more. twice. But with the way cycles work out, they really? try to make it every five to seven years. But oh. the last visits were 2011, 2012 okay. with Pope Benedict. So you think of all the things that have changed since <laughs> then. The legalization of same-sex a marriage. A lot of things have from, changed. From the um, administration of Barack Obama to yeah. Trump, the issues with the border, all sorts of stuff that have gone on in the states. So there will be a lot uh, to talk about. And, you know, of course, we were talking about clergy sexual abuse yeah. later on in the show uh, with Sister, Sister Nula Kenny, and th- there's been that resurgence of um, that scandal. Yes. And then, you know, on a final note, uh, yeah. the bishops enacted in the states new rules uh, earlier this year regarding protocols for sexual abuse and yes. that kind of thing. And uh, Monsignor Brian Bransfield has actually been disinvited from the upcoming meeting of the U.S. bishops because he's under investigation for sexual abuse yeah. and financial misconduct. 
So that's uh, one of the new rules that's actually being yes. being used. All right. Well, there you go. That'll be interesting. I'm sure we hear we'll hear more about the, that at Limina visit of the, with the U.S. bishops and the Holy Father. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. News with Allison Kenny here, our news producer. Um, you can follow her at the Allison Kenny. Hi, I'm Dan Schutte. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. If you missed any part of this program or to listen to any interview again, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All our programs are archived there. Now it's time for What I Learned From My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm very good. What have you learned from your kids this month? Well, a little bit of everything, but most specifically... Um, I've learned something that you've probably seen somewhere on an inspirational poster, uh, Let Go and Let God. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I used to have a t-shirt that said that when I was a a teenager. Oh, really? And as a teenager, and I would wear it, the geeky, nerdy, Christian (laughs) teenager. Let Go, Let God. inspired many people to let go and let God. Um, But I'm just going to adjust it a little bit so that it's let go, let them grow, and let God. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. Clever. Put that yes. on a t-shirt. I love it. <laughs> so this lesson all started um, with the, just prior to the beginning of the school year, um, we have four kids who are going to school. Three of them are uh, take the bus to yep. a French immersion program. And then um, Clara in kindergarten is in our neighborhood. So uh, she's a walker. We walk to school. Mm-hmm. But when we got the bus schedule and we knew the start time of, of um, Clara's school, we realized, well, this is impossible. I am not able to be two places at one time. Um, how are we going to make this work? How do mm-hmm. we get the kids on the bus? How do we get Claire to school? How do I drag two other kids along with me? Um, yeah, how do we eat breakfast? <laughs> when is all of this <laughs> happening? It was a very stressful time for me <laughs> that week before school as I tried to figure out how uh, how, uh, how is this going to be possible mm-hmm. at all. Um, so what I did was create this very complex, minute-by-minute schedule of our mornings from the time we wake up to the time we leave the door to get Claire to school, to get the kids to the bus stop, and then to get me and the other two kids back home to carry on with our day. I was very proud of this, and I I displayed it on a giant chalkboard in our home. Uh, And then on the very first day of school, it became super apparent (laughs) that this schedule was not going to work, <laughs> and I angrily erased it off the chalkboard and just realized, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and that night at the supper table after all had gone wrong in the morning, I mean, everybody got where they needed to be, but it was a disaster. So at the supper table that night, I just admitted to the kids, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how to get everybody where they need to be mm-hmm. all at the same time. And my oldest said, very plainly, <laughs> just said, Mommy, why don't we just walk to the bus stop by ourselves? Yeah. And in that moment, I realized, oh, I guess we could do that. <laughs> we could try that. Um, I mean, he's 10 he's, turning 11 yeah. and then with two other siblings, and they're not walking in hidden trails. They're walking on fairly yeah. uh, main streets with a lot of lovely neighbors whom we know and keep an eye out for our family. It's totally possible, mm-hmm. but because I was clinging to control and the schedule and wanting to 
maybe not just smother, but smother them, I just never even considered that a possibility. Mm -hmm. But as soon as Joseph said those words out loud, I realized, oh, that's what we can do. I can let them go. I can let them grow. I can let God take his rightful place as his, their protective father, and he can watch over that. He can make sure this goes, over, goes okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we started doing. And so mornings have become a lot more... Well, I mean, it's still crazy. We're just trying to get kids <laughs> out the door. But what happens is that I'll leave with Clara and the two little kids, and we'll walk her to school, and then on the way back... We actually pass the bus stop, so more often than not, I meet up with them at the bus stop. They've left the house on their own. Right. Um, but I realized in many ways, once I remove myself from the equation, sometimes it's kind of humbly, but sometimes things turn out better than yes. when I was there trying to control every single second. Yes. Like, I let my kids step up and take some responsibility. Yes. Joseph loves taking ownership of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. He can get the other kids out the door. He loves that. He loves to be bossy. Yeah. So I'm just going to let him. And so I'll meet up with him at the bus stop, and it gives me a chance to have a nice walk with the little kids, hug the big kids, say goodbye, see them off on the bus, and then we just walk on home and carry on with our day. And it's just been... Yeah, it's been so good for us to see them grow up a little bit. It's been good for us to, for me, to not feel like, oh, I really, I have to do everything. Because I I, I have a tendency to do that. I mm-hmm. take ownership of the operations of this household, I mean, as I need to, but maybe too much. Like, I just cling to that responsibility, and I, I feel weighted down by the responsibility of it all the time. Right. When that doesn't need to happen, especially as the kids get older. It's true. Um, it's been really good for us. Yeah. So I'm just grateful for those good. changes in our house and for good. the opportunity to let them let them go and let um, them grow and let God just master all of that in our house. It doesn't need to be me. It doesn't need to be me trying to yes um, move all the pieces around. No, there you are don't. other people who can. Yeah, you don't have me. to be God. Yes. No. And no, you know what? Goodness. Parent. That's what? what parenting is. Is a, just letting them grow letting them yeah. go like every every day it's a little letting them go a little bit more so and that's yeah. difficult for parents well for um, sure but i mean yeah. if it's happening in smaller yes increments it's then easier i think it's yes. better than just absolutely. all of a sudden yeah. absolutely yeah. well there you go good lesson there from jillian Cantor, um and from your kids yeah, as well always yes mostly thanks joe, thanks, joe. thank you for being responsible <laughs> there you go okay um okay good talk to you next month yeah thanks so much Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace. She's the writer of A Woman's Voice, and she's the wife of David, the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, Jane, and Leo. Hey, I'm Dana Catherine, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro, and you know that you can listen to all our Salt and Light Hour segments on Roku. Just look for Salt and Light TV and then select Radio. Now it's time for... Church for Dummies. With Billy Chan. Yes, the question is from my Facebook. So basically, uh, a lot of different people come into my Facebook and ask for uh, different questions. Yeah. And this is actually one of the questions that we choose because we actually run through a lot of different questions. And this is the one that we really want to answer and it's very interesting, I find, at least. So uh, the question is this. How does the church decide which relic go where? So does uh, okay, okay? Wait, 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 wait. Does that mean the church has its own department to dissect 
dead body. Yeah, no. because we we only see you know sometimes we only see no like yeah you're right nail no, finger. No yeah you're right yeah yeah and, okay that's a good question. Okay okay furthermore okay furthermore furthermore it generally takes a long time for someone to become a saint, and if they are not an incorruptible, there is a there there are cases that is incorruptible incorruptible body saint. Yes yes. Um, but their body would have decayed. So where do we get them? Right? Okay, so we're okay, going okay, to okay. dissect them. So okay, so wait, three questions. Yes. So my first, my first question to you is: Yes, uh, what do you mean, or what what do you think that person means by where does a relic go? Because uh, uh, okay, so you mean about the relics that go on the altars? No, 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 no. Basically, because of some relic actually going everywhere, we, okay, we see uh, like the church doesn't. Okay, so like Saint Francis of Assisi, you know that we we, we yeah, got okay. his hand arm. Yeah, in Toronto, like feel feel Saint Francis feel, Xavier. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, Xavier. Sorry, sorry. Yes. yeah, not a CC. <laughs> he still has his yes. hand. Um, so, so uh, okay, so there there is a Vatican department, and okay. it's it's the the congregation for the causes of saints. Okay, okay, so they're the ones that would oversee uh, the the whole things, every anything about relics. Um, so, for example, when when uh, when a saint. Uh, when a saint is about to be beatified, mm-hmm. that body has to be exhumed, and they have to exhume the body just to f- a to f- make sure that the person died okay. and that it's buried, and they have to uh, uh, they have to um, like uh, confirm confirm if that person is really that person. Exactly, they have to confirm if that person is really that person. Mm-hmm. So, who does that? The local bishop or a delegate from the Congregation of Saints from from Rome okay. will go. But then they use local people. They would have like a local examiner or, yep. or like whoever whose job is that can that can confirm and do the proper examinations to confirm the DNA or whatever they are. Yeah. So, so it's not like someone from the Vatican that does okay. that has to do so it. So it's a third party. Yeah, you just get someone else. Okay. In the same way that they would have to confirm miracles, they would just get doctors yeah, yeah. To, to do it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the event that the body is completely decomposed, as they say was the case with John Newman, who was just canonized uh-huh. uh a month ago, mm-hmm. um, apparently when they exhumed his body, the, the, he was completely decomposed and there was nothing there. Okay. Um, so Except that, for the bones. I, ex- uh, right? Is that, is that I, I don't know. I, yeah, I heard yeah. that there was nothing there. But anyway, okay, okay. so, but let's say that there's nothing there okay. because the body... Decay, I, don't, I don't know how long. Yeah, I don't know how long mm-hmm. it takes for a body to decompose, but but it could be you know three hundred years. There's not going to be anything there. Um, then there's no relic. Oh, now then there's no relic. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, or no first class relic. Now chances are that there will be something because, for example, John Newman, a lot of his relics are strands of hair. Okay. So that means that during his life, when he got his hair cut. Somebody would have kept his hair, <laughs> oh, um, and wow. I think that that happens. There, there's a lot of uh, stories of people that, that, when they're alive, you you have a sense that you know that they're holy. You you want to you know, and I think that that you know, like there's a story of a, a Bolivian saint, Saint Nazaria. I think she was canonized last year or two years ago, um, and she was a nun. And when she was forced to go to Spain, they there was a persecution of the church. They had to not wear habits. Yeah. They had to cut their hair. So at that time, oh, when they she kept had, it. The, her sisters that recognized okay. that maybe she had some holiness, they kept her hair. Wow. So all the relics, a lot of the relics that it, it's, it's, it's because when she was alive, um, in the case of some of the Canadian martyrs, 
Um, I can't think of who else, but you know, Jean de Brebeuf and those yeah, Canadian yeah. martyrs, or sorry, North American martyrs. Um, they say that when one of them was was uh, they were martyred, they were buried when th- when the town was raided by the other uh, the, the the tribes that were attacking them. The people who already felt that this man was a saint, they they dug his bones out and took the bones with them. <laughs> Right, so so I think that wow. a lot of people, when the when when the saint is still alive, already are thinking, um, what to, to to about these relics or, or to keep something that belonged okay. to them. Um, but but and but then we, that, that relic has to be authenticated. Yeah, and that's the congregation of saints. So every time you get a relic, it comes with a little certificate that that authenticates who it is, and it's got like the 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 stamp of the bishop or of the congregation so of basically saints. they are not dissecting anything right are no, they are no, they going to not. cut this now, like d- to no, 200 they do. parts no they don't I think they can mm-hmm. and it's very likely that when they exhume the body for the beatification they might remove nails or something okay. specifically for relics I doubt that they would <laughs> you know take the whole body and cut it up into into little pieces but uh, even if they were to do that they would need permission from the from the Vatican from the, from the now I'm scared well. I don't know if people will try to get my hair or you know try what to just get... cut your hair now and give me a strand <laughs> and I'll keep it okay or or just give me your mug that's got your DNA <laughs> like coffee you're drinking and I'll save it in the freezer it's hard to get your hair now you know what this is a good question and maybe people have comments and we've totally are yeah. running out of time but maybe we can revisit this yes. uh, next week or another time and if people have more questions uh, send them to Billy uh, through Twitter or Facebook yeah. at B Joe Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, treating the pathology in the clergy sexual abuse crisis with Sister Nula Kenny and Vespers Jazz Style with JJ Wright. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. The sexual abuse of children and youth by Catholic clergy is the greatest scandal of the modern church. It has caused devastating, lifelong harm to survivors and to the entire body of Christ. For many, it has precipitated a crisis of faith and a loss of credibility and trust in the church and its leaders. How should we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, respond to this profound contradiction to His words and witness? As a medical doctor, in her newest book, Still Unhealed, Treating the Pathology in the Clergy Sexual Abuse Crisis, Sister Nula Kenny recognizes the importance of correct diagnosis for effective treatment. It is a heartfelt book rooted in faith, hope, and love, offered in support of all those clergy and laity that are working together to heal the Church and in deep trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. I had a chance to speak to Sister Nula Kenny about it, earlier this week. Sister Nula, so good to have you back on the program. Welcome. Thank you. Happy it's to good, be here. It's good to have you here in the studio, live. Yeah, well, the, your new place is new, just yes. absolutely amazing. It's so good. Amazing. So good to have you here. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your, how did you get involved in, 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 in the whole history of clergy sex abuse? Well, actually, uh, you need to know, so I, I'm a sister of charity of Halifax. Mm-hmm. But I was given permission to become a physician, and I became a pediatrician right. and also a medical ethicist. Yes. And I had just been appointed as the professor and head of pediatrics back at Halifax from mm-hmm. – I was in Ontario for a number of years in medical education and pediatrics. And 
This was exactly at the time. It was 1980, late 1988, early 1989, when the public revelations of clergy abuse, which is a longstanding issue, but the public yes. revelations in the late 70s, early 80s began to explode. And there was uh, an issue in Mount Cashel, institutional abuse by the Christian brothers. In Newfoundland. In Newfoundland. And immediately, kind of at the tail end of that, the beginning of revelations of priests yes. who were abusing. So the Archbishop of St. John's, Newfoundland, Alphonsus Penny, uh-huh. called me. He, he had decided to establish an amazing and still unprecedented group okay. led by an Anglican layman, Wonderful. Gordon Winter, the former lieutenant governor wow. of St. John's, two women. I was there as the pediatrician and as a religious woman. Okay. There was another woman who was in forensics psychi- mm-hmm. psychology. Mm-hmm a Catholic layman, and, and a priest. Yes. Um, and this was in 1989 that we first met. In 1990, mm-hmm. after having both reviewed the literature and most importantly, most significantly, went widely through the archdiocese, meeting with individual parishes, communities, victims, families that had been devastated right. by, by priestly abuse, we presented... what now is considered to be a landmark in the clergy abuse Uh issue is the Newfoundland Report, or sometimes it's it's called the Winter Report. Yes. The important thing in in that in my history is there, remember, we did a review of the literature Mm -hmm. and the science. We spoke to victims and families and communities affected. We then named issues directly related to the care and responses to victims and their families Mm -hmm. and communities. Mm -hmm. But there we mentioned the need to understand, because Archbishop Penny had said, why did this happen? Why has this happened? And what we named is the clear beginning of evidence that while there were individual risk factors in individual offenders Mm -hmm. and in individual vulnerable children, that there were systemic and cultural beliefs and practices in our church that either fostered an environment where this could happen Mm -hmm. if you were at Mm -hmm. risk or that fostered the inappropriate leadership response. Right. So that named a, 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 a theme for me as I came to this as a pediatrician who dealt with abuse. Yes. I, I've, I've dealt with, I've dealt with abuse. Um, and victims, and that was my original concern. And while that has remained one, these deeper issues became more important. Mm-hmm. I was then asked immediately to be on the Canadian Conference of Bishops Committee that was trying to take up these issues from Newfoundland. Right. So 1989-90, Newfoundland Commission. Yes. 1990-92, the CCCB, I was an advisor. Yes. Which published From Pain to Hope. Yes. The first national guidelines in the world, and again they mentioned systemic and cultural beliefs and practices. Yeah. I went back to my pediatric career, and it was the uh, arrest of Raymond Lahey mm-hmm. on the possession of... Uh, and he in had Halifax. been in Newfoundland. Yes. Uh, devastated me. And at that time, I decided it was not enough to just name issues that the church needed to pursue. Mm-hmm. I had to get back into this work uh, as part of my responsibility yeah. to the victims and, 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 and to the church. Right. So in 2012, I wrote... The first book. Healing the Church. Yes. Diagnosing and Treating the Clergy Abuse Crisis, precisely to give ordinary parishes 
ordinary communities some kind of a vehicle mm-hmm. to begin to discuss this incredibly painful and difficult topic. Mm-hmm. So that was the first book published by Novalis. They were fantastic in yes. supporting me in that. But we created it as a discussion document. What then has happened, as, as you know, that's 2012. Pope Francis becomes Holy Father in mm-hmm. 2013. Mm-hmm. And despite his understanding of the issue, his empathic concern about this, his identification of some risk factors from 2013 till today, we have had an un, uh, a total unraveling of this crisis throughout the church. Right. And it's clearly now a, an emerging global crisis. Mm-hmm. So Novalis asked me, would I do a sequel? Right. And that's why the sequel to the book starting with reviewing all the history that we did right. in the first one, but right. summarizing, is still unhealed. Yeah. Only now you'll see the subtitle goes deeper into mm-hmm. treating the pathology in the clergy sexual abuse crisis. Actually now going under major issues, either risk factors for individuals, mm-hmm. but more importantly, mm-hmm. systemic and cultural beliefs and practices mm-hmm. And trying now to see if we can engage all the whole church. The Holy Father, Pope Francis, when he called this amazing summit. Yeah. That um, took place last year? Th- 20, no, this no, year. No, this year. February 21st. February, 2019. February 21st. Um, he had this amazing call that says everyone in the church now has to be involved. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Pe- pe- priests, people, clergy, laity, laity. men, women. We all have to be involved because this is an issue that has devastated not the structural body of the church, the organization, it's done that, yes. but it's a deeper issue. Yes. It has fractured the body of Christ, mm-hmm. the, the, that, that unity, which is the essential reality. Yeah. So this book was to begin to identify now in more depth what are the kinds of issues where we really need to do deep thinking. Right, right. And I love the title, Still Unhealed. Because we're not healed, but we're also unhealed. We're still un and unhealed. Yes. You got it. <laughs> yes, I got it. Unhinged. Um, what would you say to people? I mean, you've written the first book. There are so many more protocols and and documents and 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 regulations and rules and and people that would even say that this sex abuse is much less likely to happen today. As that this is something of the past. Why do we need a new book? You know, isn't isn't this dealt with? All right. So first. Um, there is, throughout Western societies, so please remember, in most of the world, this is... The true. Ad- the sexual abuse of children... True, true. Uh, ...is still not recognized as a social problem and a crime in, in the majority of... Of the world. Of the world. It, it, it is in Canada, the United States, and most of Western Europe, Australia, okay. New Zealand. Okay. So the issue is that there has been a decreased incidence, not because of the church... Because of in- increased scrutiny. Because of the world, yeah, Because I of guess. the world yes. paying attention yes. to understanding the magnitude of the harm. And it's happening not just in the church. It's happening all it's, over. It, it, this yes. is a societal, this yes. is a societal yes. understanding. Yes. And so what has happened is, that you're right, there are policies and protocols uh, everywhere. And, and I would say most churches, most parishes, most dioceses, certainly in North America, have put in place all kinds of policies for what they call safe ministry. Mm-hmm. Very important. But, but this, is, this is the reason why we really have to go deeper and get everyone who loves the church and wants to restore 
the church as an agent of credibility and mercy to the most vulnerable right. and, and to heal the church. Because what, what we know and said in the 2018 Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, remember 20? Yes. In, in, in 1992? Yes. From Pain to Hope. The, the new book calls all of the faithful of Canada to participate with the Canadian bishops in healing the church. And there's two options. My, my own archbishop yes. and, and my good friend, yes. Anthony Mancini, chaired the group. Bishop Tony and I worked on the first part, and these are the two conclusions that become crucially important mm-hmm. uh, in, in this book. One, we summarize the literature and, and, that we know of that says policies, protocols for responding to allegations, protecting, reporting, etc., are necessary but they're not sufficient. Mm-hmm. They are necessary risk protection and risk management strategies mm-hmm. in the light of the failing of the church mm-hmm. on this horrendous problem. But what we then say clearly in that CCCB 2018 report is long-term prevention of misuse of power in any way, men, women, children, child pornography, I mean, all of those things that have... I mean, they're not less, they're more in our society. Long-term prevention requires conversions of minds and hearts individually and ecclesially in the church to think and act according to the words and witness of Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. We've got to now think of this issue and think deeply about policies, practices, relationships in the church that, in fact, have allowed us Mm -hmm. to deny, to ignore, to even suppress information about harm to children or to continue the denial, Mm -hmm. to say, I mean, I've had people say to me, depending on what they call me, Sister Nula, Dr. Kenny, wherever, you don't, you're going to give another talk on clergy abuse? I mean, haven't we had enough? Yeah. Come on, Nula, stop. But, I mean, come on, let's yeah, just get yeah, yeah. beyond this. This is my final comment on this. I'm a doctor. Misdiagnosis is one of the worst things a doctor can do. If you come to me with a headache and I think it's the commonest cause and was your stress, mm-hmm. and I give you some stress relief and get you a week off, yeah. you're going to feel a little bit better. But if the reason for your headache is a brain tumor, which is the most serious, which is the most serious of the diagnosis that you could have, what's going to happen? Two things guaranteed with misdiagnosis. One, you're going to continue to have pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And two, if we don't get you properly diagnosed in time, you may die. Mm -hmm. We have misdiagnosed this as a crisis of individual behaviors and behaviors that can be dealt with by policies and protocols and rules and regulations. Necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah. Wow, sister, we're going to have to leave it there. We're all out of time. Um, But thank you, because with this book, you're helping us with that conversion of hearts and minds. And maybe there's going to be another book after, because I think the conversion is going to take a while. But we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, we do. Thank you, Sister Nula Kenny, for the work that you do and uh, for speaking about uh, about this to us today. Thank you. 
Sister Nula Kenny is a sister of charity of Halifax, a pediatrician and medical ethicist. She is the author of many books, including Healing the Church and Rediscovering the Art of Dying. Her latest book, Still Unhealed, Treating the Pathology in the Clergy Sexual Abuse Crisis, is published by Novalis. To listen to the full interview, if you missed it, go to saltandlighttv.org radio. Here now is an excerpt of the Magnificat from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. That was an excerpt of the Magnificat from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. I wish we had more time to listen to the whole thing, but I guess you'll just have to go and get the album. Vespers for the Immaculate Conception is the latest creation of composer and producer J.J. Wright. As you can hear, it is a beautiful and creative fusion of sacred music with jazz. And I'm not going to say more because I have tons of questions, and so I'm so happy to welcome J.J. Wright to the program. J.J., welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Uh, so... so I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one wondering, but like, what? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> what? What? What was the inspiration for this? What made you think that you could do vespers, jazz style, sacred music? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so my background is actually as a jazz pianist. Yeah, I know. Um, and yeah, I did my undergraduate degree in jazz, and was also in the Navy for four years, right? Right. Um, played mostly jazz music full time, and um. When I uh, lived in New York City, um, while I was getting my undergraduate at the new school, I uh, got my first church job, uh-huh. um, kind of working as a as a full-time director of music at a parish. And um, when I started kind of doing the week-to-week, I, you know, I was really, really enjoying it Yeah. and started to realize that there, I just didn't know a lot about how to do a really great job as a music director. And so... Uh-huh. Um, I started looking for graduate programs where I could study and um, stumbled upon a program at Notre Dame and came out to Notre Dame and did my master's and doctorate in sacred music. Okay. Um, but when I was here at Notre Dame, 
I kind of, uh, I kind of felt like I was letting, letting go of my identity as a jazz pianist. But in one of my first classes, uh, a professor was like, Hey, you know, you're, you're a jazz musician, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, well, your project for this semester is to, uh, is to create a jazz vesper service. Oh my God. And I was like, well, I I have no idea how to do that. And Uh she was like, okay, well, you know, why don't we just, we'll take it a little bit at a time. We'll just kind of work through it and study a lot of the ways that sacred music has been created before and, and go from there. So that was kind of the initial impetus. Uh Okay. So let me ask you, uh, because you'd think, so I don't know if maybe you, you would know musically, but I'm not sure. You would think that the idea of jazz as something, as an audience member that I'm that that I that it's intended for me to to listen to, I guess, and the idea of a vespers that it's intended for me to participate in. How do those you know? How do you kind of uh, come to terms with that that which it seems like it's like two different purposes. For sure, yeah. And you know, one of the great things about jazz is that, you know, it, it, kind of in the earliest um, iterations, like this music is a, is a social music. It's, yeah, it's yeah, made yeah. for participation. And so when when you hear really great jazz, you hear the audience super involved. You know, okay. they're playing songs that people recognize and understand and then kind of going from there as a starting point. And I think in right. one, of the, one of the beautiful things that that sort of um, contributes uh, – into sacred music is that so much of our, um, our prayer and participation, we want to incorporate, you know, sort of the body and the soul. Uh And, um, jazz really kind of gives a great, um, a really great push to that whole idea that the, the music fills, fills up the body and it can sort of illuminate our mind to, to grow closer to God. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm totally into the idea that it's okay to just sit and listen to a Vesper service. But would you say that this music, I mean, this is clearly not intended for the audience to participate in that we can sing along. Right. Right. It's, I, I like to say that it's particip- participatory in a different way, just because yeah. um, there's, you know, there's different ways to participate. Like, you know, when I'm, if I'm praying, um, by myself in the morning, for example. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, sitting in a chair and just kind of silently, um, you know, meditating or reading scripture or something. I'm still actively involved in that prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in the same way with with something like vespers or or even like a homily, like we we can be actively engaged in the active prayer in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. Kind of like dynamic listening is is a really great way to. Um, you know, get our imagination going. When yeah, we're, exactly. We're no, and I, I like that. Yeah. I like I like that because it's if in maybe it's even better to engage me if if I'm bopping around with the music or tapping my foot or clapping along. That's that's engaging me in a way that I probably wouldn't normally engage with prayer. So I I, right. I, I love that. Did you was it recorded as as a concert with with an audience? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was first performed as a concert, but then we um, we did it on a big sound stage. Kind okay, of, and, and we kind of recorded it like a concert, but it was it was um, more. You know, we stopped and started and did all that kind of right. Stuff of to get a really great recording. Out yeah, of, it. of course. No, and it sounds it sounds great. Was the was the jazz okay? So 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 some of it because I haven't been able to play obviously all, all, everything or a lot of it. Even some of the tracks that I wanted to play, we'd have to only play portions of it because they're they're a little long. Um, but so there's some there's Gregorian chant, um, and there are two Baroque motets that you that you use. 
Um, so you've kind of used things that already existed. Did you write any new sacred style kind of music? And was the jazz that we hear, was it improvised? Yeah, both both are true. So like I kind of set up this dialogue between the Gregorian chant and the Baroque motets, and then the, most of the music in the middle of the piece is stuff that is newly composed. Yeah. Um, and within that newly composed music are sections where, and for the for the jazz trio really to just improvise uh, during and that you know contribute to some part of the you know the message or the prayer that that we are um, currently yeah. Uh, engaged in. Yeah. No, that's great. So and it's your jazz trio, right? It's you on piano. That's right. Okay, and bass and uh, and and percussion. Um, yeah, d- uh, I love that. I love that because it's like you you guys are responding to. I I love that. I love that. And I think when people hear it, those are the sections that I'm playing actually in the show. So I think when people hear it, they'll 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 get that. Do you ever cool. think? So is there? I don't even know how to ask this because I don't. I think I, I'm thinking that it's not a great question, but some people might have it. So the idea of Catholic or sacred music and jazz. Um, do you think that it's possible to, you know, like, like I've heard some jazz, a, a, a mass setting that is jazz or, mm-hmm. or, I mean, I don't know. I, I, do, do you know what I mean? Like there's something about, or people that do praise and worship music. Do you think that the jazz is a genre that kind of lends itself to sacred music I, or prayer or yeah. worship? Yeah. I, there's a couple, there's a couple things. Um, with that, I think the first thing is that part of the reason I think uh, part of the reason I included these Baroque motets is because if you kind of look under the hood, uh-huh. you hear the voices singing over top, but underneath you hear this it's kind of like a band. And I'm playing the organ, and there's a cellist. And yeah. the idea uh, of this thing called the basso continuo in Baroque music really is improvised underneath yes. the texture of the piece. Yes. And when I'm playing jazz and I'm at the piano with with bass and drums, I'm my my head's in a very similar space because I'm basically doing the same thing it's just a different style right and i think the cool thing about baroque music especially is that you know this music by carissimi and charpentier that's on the record like Uh this music was the the cutting edge music at the time that it was written and it Uh was cutting edge and it was in the church this is the music that people were traveling to rome to come see and the kind of the best stuff that was being offered right um, throughout europe so it would have been like the popular music of the day yeah yeah interesting which I, I suppose, but even that we could say that jazz, I mean, jazz is not really the popular music of our day, but it's still right. considered popular music. Um, I love jazz. I mean, I'm so I'm so in, in awe at people like you, like jazz piano. If I could play jazz piano, I'd be like, I won't, don't have to do anything else. I'll just play the piano. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really fun. It's, it's just great. Yeah, it, it, it must be. And I, and I love the idea that and I'm sure JJ, when you sit at the piano and you're just, you know, riffing or whatever, following chords, and and just that that that's prayer, and and God smiles when you do it because, thanks. No, I seriously. So and through this recording, you're helping other people enter into that. So I hope that there's more to come. I don't know what more you can do, but I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to more jazz, uh, sacred music. Um, so thank you for sharing a little bit of that with us today, JJ. Absolutely. Thanks again. You can learn more about J.J. Wright, his music, and in particular about Vespers for the Immaculate Conception at his website, jjwrightmusic.com. To listen to the full interview or any other part of this program, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio. Here now, again, is an excerpt of Psalm 113 from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. 
listening to Psalm 113 from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. And that will bring us to the end of the program. For those of you listening to us on the Catholic Channel on SiriusXM, hope you have a great rest of the day. If you missed any part of the program, remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org radio. You can also listen to the show on Roku and find it on the Google Music Store, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. So no excuses for not listening to the show. Just look for the Salt and Light our Catholic podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Deacon Pedro. Send me your comments. Always love to hear from you. Thank you for being with us. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.